you have your Bible, you can open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And um, just dig in here. Uh, Don Carson uh, says this about the theme of Ecclesiastes. The theme of Ecclesiastes is the necessity of fearing God in a fallen and therefore frequently confusing and frustrating world. Um, Not rhetorical is this question. Who has been frustrated or confused this week? Who has been frustrated or confused this morning? I love the fact that Jen and Stephanie's hands were almost broken. They went up so fast. <laughs> Hi, moms. Uh, my hands should have been up equally as fast. Who here has been frustrated or confused since I started the prayer when we started the service? Do I need to call you guys liars or are you guys tell me the truth? Thank you. I say that because I, I, I don't want to be confused about the fact that we live in a place that's frustrating and confusing. And here's the thing. I think that Solomon, in the first seven verses of chapter 5, has an antidote for us for this frustration and confusion that we find ourselves in in this fallen world. And my job this week has been to wrestle with that, connect with it, and find it and be able to articulate it to all of us. So what I mean to say is, I've been wrestling and trying to articulate the gospel here in Ecclesiastes 5, and what it has to say to this frustrating and confusing world, and I've been saying it to myself all week long. Yet, I've been frustrated and confused before I walk up here to talk about it, which is frustrating and confusing. We live in a world where there's frustration and confusion everywhere. And here's the thing, because this world is that way, and because we are that way, we want to run to that frustration and confusion instead of running to the antidote for it. And we need to to pound it into our hearts. I think we have this gospel armor on and it may mean something, I think that means something different than what you probably hear. We have this armor on that doesn't allow the, the darts, the weaponry of the gospel to penetrate into us. And, and that's the thing that when I, when I said what I said at the beginning, that the, the God of the universe wants to speak to you, it's my hope that we would take that off and allow the, the gospel to come and, and really say something to us this morning. Because the God of the universe wants to speak to us, but this frustrating and confusing world is going to war against us hearing that message. And not just against us hearing that message, but against us, like, allowing that message to change us. And, and, and I think we, we come to this, this world, we engage in this world from that 
standpoint, not from a standpoint of what are, what are you trying to say to me, God? But I think God has something to say to us this morning. And, and I want the frustration and the confusion and the busyness and the whatever it was this morning that, that caught your attention, that changed your state of mind to being frustrated and confused. I, I, I want that to be laid aside and us to, to hear from this holy God that wants to speak to us this morning. We've spent a lot of time so far in Ecclesiastes talking about the dark and difficult language that Solomon uses. We've spent a lot of time engaging this frustration and this confusion and this darkness. I want to highlight five verses that speak those things to us this morning. Ecclesiastes 1.8. And I'm going to kind of major on just a few phrases as we read these five verses. Ecclesiastes 1.8. All things are full of weariness. These verses will be on the screen too if you don't want to flip through everything. Ecclesiastes 1.8. All things are full of weariness. Can I confess to you that being the pastor of a church is filled with weariness? I'd probably rather be on a golf course right now or in a bed. All things are full of weariness. Being a parent, being a husband, being a father, being a pastor, being an employee, being an employer, being a son, being a daughter, being a Christian. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. But our eyes were given to us so that we can see, but because of this fallen, frustrating, confusing world, nothing is ever going to satisfy us. Our ears are meant to hear, but nothing will never be filled. All things are full of weariness. Because all things are not going to provide for the, the hunger that's in your soul. Ecclesiastes 1.4 I have seen everything that is done under the sun. What is not included in the word everything? Nothing. Everything. I've seen everything that's done under the sun. And behold, pay attention. That word behold, when you see it, when you read it in Scripture. Pay attention. I've seen everything that's done under the sun, so pay attention. Everything is meaningless. And a striving after the wind. Dark words. Frustrating and confusing Ecclesiastes 2.11, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And pay attention. All is vanity. All is meaningless. And a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Hey, thanks for coming and pointing out these ridiculous dark verses to me, Rick. Appreciate it. Ecclesiastes 2.17 So I hated life. Be honest with me. Who said that this week? 
I hate my life. There's even a text lingo for that, right? Guess what? Solomon was texting that thousands of years ago. So I hate life. Because what is done under the sun was so grievous to me. For all is meaningless, a striving after the wind. Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 10. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. What are we busy with? You and I live in a falling, confusing, and frustrating world that tries to squeeze us into a worldview that doesn't trust God. Let me say that again. You and I live in a falling, confusing, and frustrating world that tries to squeeze us into a worldview that doesn't trust God. These verses that we just read highlight this. Bring it to the forefront. Sometimes we're, we're good at pushing that away, that we can engage the world and engage God, and, and they can mix. But these verses don't allow us to do that. This world, this fallen world, these fallen fleshly desires that we have try to squeeze us into a worldview that doesn't trust God. It's what created sin in the first place. Eve didn't trust that God had her best interest in mind. Eve didn't trust that God could give her real joy, that God could give her real happiness, that God was holding out on her. And so she went out and tried to seek pleasure on her own. There is so much darkness and depression that's here in the first four chapters of Ecclesiastes. There's so much darkness and depression that's around us. But Ecclesiastes 5, we see some real hope. For the first time, some extended hope that God has for us. So turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And let's read, let's think about what it means to fear God. If you've been paying attention, the second to last verse of Ecclesiastes is all has been said and all has been done. Here's what to do. Fear God and keep his commandments. It's vital. It's really important to fear God. And I I think that we don't really have a handle on what it means to fear God. But here, seven verses about what it means to fear God. Let's read them together. Guard your steps when you go near to the house of God. Draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty 
to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it is a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. There is meaninglessness. But God is the one you must fear. A few things for us to think through and point out here. But I want to put this banner over the top of us. In a fallen and confusing and frustrating world, God brings before you in these verses the antidote to that frustration and that confusion. Fear God. Just a few simple, short phrases to help us remember this. And, and this is that it, that it might penetrate through the walls that we've built up, through the armor that we have. These things might penetrate us. First of all, be careful. This is God. It's what it means to fear God. The antidote to this fallen and frustration, frustrating, confusing world is to fear God. First step, be careful. This is God. Do we walk into these doors on a Sunday morning aware that we're about to connect with God? Let me remind you of a few things that happened that God did. In Egypt, Pharaoh was keeping the Israelites, God's people, Slaves, you remember what God did, the last thing he did? He killed the firstborn child of every person in Egypt who didn't have blood above their door. He ain't to be messed with. Do you remember when they're walking with the ark, the ark of the covenant, which is what, where, where the glory of God dwelled and it started to fall? Some guy reached out to try and stop it from hitting the ground. Do you remember what happened to him? Dead. The glory and magnificence and beauty and majesty of God is not something just to look at. It's something to be fearful of. This is God. Be careful. Read verses 1 and 2. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps when you go near 
to the house of God? What does it mean to guard your steps? I think about this. This is, it's kind of silly, so, so don't let it be silly because this is really important. You're walking across like a, a, a rickety bridge with like half of the planks missing, like rope bridge and wooden planks across it. You're going to be really careful about each step that you take before you put your weight on it. Is this going to hold me? In my mind, that's what it means to guard your steps. Guard your steps when you come near the house of the Lord. Pay attention to where and how you place your feet. That's why we started this morning with the prayer. God, free us from distraction. Free us from that which will not allow us to guard our steps as we draw near to you. Because this is God. This isn't your grandfather. I think our American culture definition of God looks a lot like our grandfather. My kids go over there, they get candy, they get to stay up late. They get to play video games all day. My dad's a good grandfather. He's a bad God. Second thing, speak less and listen more. Listen to these statements that confirm this from verses 2 to 6. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word. Let your words be few. A fool's voice with many words. Let not your mouth lead you to sin. This is especially prudent for us because here's we engage in worship and we sing songs of worship a lot of times talking about God you have my all holy surrender Can I can I tell you to be careful When you sing songs be careful When you pray prayers be careful This is what it means to fear God And again, we're all confused. We're all frustrated in this world. And these are the arrows that God is shooting in us to penetrate through what happens to us, the the armor that we wear, to say to us, trust me, I got this. Speak less and listen more. The next thing Be patient and trust him. Be patient and trust him. This idea is sort of the opposite. This is what it means to not trust him, is to not be patient and to not trust him. In other words, I want what man wants. I want to fill my needs today. I want to fill my needs right now in this moment. I want to pastor a church of 500 people. And I want it to happen today. I want to pastor a church of 500 people so I don't have to sell insurance. And I want it today. 
but a holy God is speaking to my heart, and I hope that he's speaking to yours. Be patient and trust him. My circumstances do not define God's love for me. My circumstances do not define my hope. They don't define my peace. And this world is trying to lie to you and tell you that that's not true. Your circumstances, how you feel about your spouse right now, defines your happiness. How you feel about your job right now defines your happiness. How you feel about your mortgage payment defines your happiness. How you feel about the behavior of your children. How you feel about your neighbor how your neighbor feels about you. All of these things in our minds, what the world is telling us is that matters. Here, now, today, this second matters. To fear God means to be patient and trust him. There's a design in what's happening in your life. There's a design to it. Do you believe me? Do you believe God? To fear God is to have this idea in the forefront of our minds. Trust me. I got this, says God to you. To fear him is to have this in the front of your mind. Be patient and trust him. The next thing, very short and simple. Be restful. In a frustrating and confusing world, be restful. By this I mean that we are to be content with our position. God is a God who can give or take as he pleases. God is a God who, who accomplishes his purposes. If he can do as he pleases and he accomplishes his purposes, there's a reason you are where you are and who you are. Shaping and molding you in this process called sanctification. All over scripture, he teaches us with this idea to be at rest, to be at peace, to be content. Last week, we heard from Ecclesiastes 4, 6. I can't get past this verse. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Better is a handful of quietness. We studied that Hebrew word quietness last week. Do you remember? The attitude of a restful soul. In our marriage class, we talked about this word attitude. We defined this word attitude this week on Wednesday night. We, we decided that the definition of attitude is the state of mind that predicts how we respond to the world, to stuff that's happening to us. Say that again. The state of mind that predicts how we respond to what happens to us, to our circumstances. A bad attitude, somebody brings you good news, you're going to respond poorly. It predicts, your bad attitude predicts how you respond to your circumstances. Your good attitude predicts how you're going to respond to your circumstances. 
This command to us to be restful is an attitude of rest that predicts how we respond to our circumstances, how we respond to the frustration and confusion of this world. Better is a handful of a gentle, quiet attitude than two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. Be restful. We run around making promises to God about what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. This week I was reminded of a U2 song, All I Want Is You. All the promises we make from the cradle to the grave when all God wants is us. We run around promising each other and promising God. Psalm 51, 16 and 17. For you do not delight in sacrifice. So many times we try and add something to Scripture or, or make it deeper than it is or whatever, but this is really simple. Psalm 51, 16. You do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. It's just a way to say religious activity. You're not pleased. The sacrifices of God, the things that God wants from us, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, be honest with God. Come to grips with who you are. I'm in need of you, God. I live in a broken and a frustrating world. Please lead me. Please give me rest. God is not interested in your promises. God is not interested in what he, you can give to him. God is interested in you. Be restful. next thing. Be aware of your position. Be aware of your position. You are not God. He is in heaven and you are on earth. read this last verse, verse 7. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there's vanity. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is meaninglessness. Get back up to verse 2. Be not rash with your mouth. Let not your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Go back to verse 7. For 
when many dreams, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Be aware of your position. You are under God. You are who you are. You are not sovereign. You are not able to save a broken, confused, and frustrating world. Be aware of your position. This is what it means to fear the Lord. And the the truth of what's going to happen is we're going to connect with this. We're going to connect with one or two of these things, and they're really going to speak to our lives and speak to our hearts. And and we're going to have this desperate desire inside of us to go and change our world. And the next time we're confronted with frustration, we're going to want to remember to be restful. We're going to want to remember to be quiet. We're going to want to remember to do all these things that that these simple statements have spoken to us. We're going to want to remember to be aware of our position as human beings fallen. But this confusing and frustrating world is going to keep coming at us. It's going to keep coming at us all the time. And we're going to wind up just like I was this week, having preached this to my heart six days this week. Going to sleep, worried about how I'm going to communicate this to you and to myself. And then I'm going to show up here, drawing near to the house of the Lord, guarding my steps as I go near to the house of the Lord. And then I'm going to live in frustration. After I pray, God, please take it from me. We, this world is confusing and it's frustrating. And we, we see the antidote to fear the Lord, but we fail. And I wish I could stand before you and say, Pate, do just like this and everything's going to be fine. Do just like this and everything will be fine, but we won't do just like this. Because we're so desperate. We so desperately need him. Let's look at three psalms together and understand in a world of frustration and confusion, there is a God who has provided all that is needed. He is your hope. He is your rock. He is your shelter. He is your provision. He is all of those things. And he has crafted the psalms to speak that to you. Fire Psalm 18.2 up there. Let's read this together. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. Okay, let's start over and let's read this together. Did you hear me? Let's read this together. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Seriously. This world is frustration. This world is confusion. This world will hit you with it today at lunchtime. May this ring in your head that my church is not my rock and my salvation. My job isn't. My kids aren't. My spouse isn't. My neighbor's not. My job, my house, my mortgage, my bank account. 
None of these things are a rock in our salvation, but this world tries to convince you that they are. Here's the hope. Here's the fear of the Lord. God has provided. God has provided. Hit the next psalm. Let's read this together. Don't make me do this twice. Let's read this together. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. That word selah, you know what that means? Stop. Think about it. Pay attention. Which tells me, read it again. Okay? So read it again. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Look at that. Trust in him at all times. Man, I wish that that would just permeate my, my useless, confused, and frustrating, frustrated brain. Oh, people, pour out your heart before him. Pour out your heart before him. Pour out your heart before him. When I prayed, do you guys remember at the beginning of the service, I prayed and I said, God, I confess before you and before these people that I'm frustrated right now. That's what it means. That's just very simple. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Pour out your heart before him because he is your refuge. There is confusion and frustration everywhere, but he has provided for you a refuge from all of that. Man, this is beautiful. This is hope. Do you remember the the five verses that I read filled with darkness and vanity and life is awful and I hate my life and I hate and I hate and it's just frustrating and darkness and all that? Do you know who Solomon's dad was? The guy who wrote this. That's pretty cool, right? Solomon crying on his throne, crying on his bed. Probably taking too much liberty with that, but it's freshness from my heart. Hit the next one, Ben. Let's read this together. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. In a confusing and frustrating and fallen world, it tries to force you to want what it wants. This is the truth. And your confusion and your frustration turns to joy and to laughter and to dancing and to hope and to peace and to rest and to being fully aware of your position. Let's pray and let's worship this God. Father, thank you for the Psalms. 
Thank you for the hope that you have provided. Guide us now as we respond to you, O Father. Guard our steps. May we be quick to listen and slow to speak. May we be careful what we vow before you. May we pour our hearts out to you. May we be fully aware of our position. May we engage you in worship. Father, you are great, worthy, and holy. Father, I I stand before you. Desiring you, Father. God, please take away the frustration and confusion and distraction. May I see you, Father. May we all see you. God, I trust you, but I want to trust you more. I love you, but I want to love you more. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you have provided for our salvation. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.